everybody and welcome back to another episode of Wayward. The chapters at this end of the book are for some reason a lot longer than they were at the beginning. Clearly I lost control of myself and just wrote, 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 wrote until I remembered that I hadn't had a chapter break for a long time. And we are nearing the end of the book. I hope some of you are reading along, maybe reading a little bit ahead, but that you'll still enjoy hearing me read this section and getting overly dramatic with the voices as normal. You might remember that last time we saw that Michaela had inherited all the powers that Sophia or whatever was living inside Sophia had stolen over the years and that had kind of a knock-on effect where she realised that she was in fact descended from Ceridwen, the goddess, and also where she tried to bring Cray back to life using a ritual in which she sacrificed uh, some of her flesh by sticking her hand into the scalding pot of potion. And now we're going to see what happened after she passed out. So without further ado, here is chapter 23 of Wayward. When I wake up, it's light at the window, and for a moment I'm lost, thinking I'm still in Bristol, where I fell after killing the shade. I sit up and realise where I am, my eyes instantly going to the spot on the floor where Cray's clothes are, or where they were at least. There's nothing on the floor but a small pool of water and a blanched mistletoe stalk. I shuffle towards it, knocking the empty pan across the floor. They're gone. That means... Cray? There's no answer. I get up and throw open the door, crossing the hallway and looking into each room. Nothing. Downstairs I run into the kitchen, even go to the back door and look into the garden. But there's no one there. He's gone. I lean my forehead against the cold glass, feeling sick. It worked, I know it did, but if that's true, then where's Cray? Had he woken up on the floor and then just left me? I don't want to believe it, but the doll I'd made is gone as well. Wherever he is, he has total control over himself again. No one made him leave. He chose to abandon me. Perhaps he never loved me after all. Maybe it was all the shades doing. It's only as I go back upstairs to recheck the room for signs of the spell's success that I notice my hand. Burns were the last thing on my mind when I woke up, and there wasn't any pain, probably because my hand is no longer there. But there's a hand on my wrist, and it looks almost like my hand, but as I flex my fingers, I can see tiny joints moving, the grain silvery in the dim light. The wood is pale as the rest of me, smooth and cool. It could be a high-end prosthetic if it wasn't for the tiny offshoot on the little finger. Two leaves and one white berry. Mistletoe. I clench both my fists and look away from my hand. I don't want to have to process that on top of everything else. The last 24 hours have changed my entire life. I'm exhausted and so miserable that my chest physically aches. The only thing that's been keeping me going was the thought of saving Cray. But I've done all I can. Done the impossible. And he's left me behind. I can't even begin to think about the others. Poor Nara and Ilex, Chronicle and Campion. It cost me my hand to bring Cray back, and I can't even be sure what he's come back as. The thought of him out there somewhere, half alive and half, it makes me want to put my hands over my face and sob. I want out. Out of Wayward, out of the nightmare, out of my skin and away from the horrible weight in my chest. There's nothing for me downstairs. I go back up to the bathroom in a daze and find my bag. The pink one I used for sleepovers a lifetime ago. I don't pay attention to what I'm putting in there, the familiar shapes of things, my few clothes, wash stuff, jewellery box, the ritual tools I gather with the others, craze cards. I remove my glamour and take off my bloody clothes, switching back to what I was wearing when I left home. I put the bloodstained things under a loose board in the bathroom floor. Though I don't want to go back to Sophia's room, I don't want to leave the crystals from the other fetches there either. I cover my hand with a piece of green cloth from one of the cluttered tables and pick the crystals up one by one, tying them firmly into a little bundle. Maybe I can bury them later, even find where their bodies are. I think it all through a fog, walk with legs of lead. 
Outside, I put the house behind me and start walking, bypassing the campus entirely. I don't want to see anyone or wait for the bus to come and then make its way back into town. I need to be moving. The driveway is longer than it seemed on the bus and the air is freezing. It almost hurts to breathe. I know I could glamour myself warm in an instant. The power in me is racing under my skin, begging me to do just that. The rest of me might be tired, but the magic isn't. It's like being one of those Terminator robots. The outside of me, the Michaela part, is worn ragged, but all that strength underneath is unaffected. I put my old gloves on, mostly to hide my hand, and pick the little sprig of mistletoe off, slipping it into my pocket. The pavements are slick with ice where they aren't wet with pinkish-brown road salt sprinkled on them. I don't see anyone until I'm off the main road, walking up through Twerton to reach my parents' house at the top of the hill. I pass a few people there, but keep my head down and avoid looking anyone in the eye. Their house, my house, is just as I saw it on the astral. But when I work up the nerve to knock, there's no one at home. I think of Cray and his parents who went on holiday and didn't care that he might need to come home. I could have the door open in moments, I know that. Or maybe walk right through the wall. I've no idea what this kind of power can do. I don't want to know. I put my bag on the front step and sit down next to it, feeling the cold instantly soak through my jeans. I'm there for a while before next door comes up the street with her dog and spots me. Michaela! Oh, love, where have you been? I can't open my mouth to speak. I'm just so tired. She pushes open the gate, her little dog pulling her up the path, panting and bug-eyed as it tries to get to me. Do you want to come into mine while I call your mum? I shake my head. Moving more than that seems impossible. Next door bites her lip and glances quickly at her own front door. Wait, right there, all right. I'll be two ticks. She yanks the dog after her as she hurries into the house, leaving the door open. I don't know her name. Never have. In my head, she was always next door or the woman with the annoying dog. But she knew me. Or at least she does now that I'm the runaway teenager from the papers. She comes running out again, skidding on the ice in her wellies. The dog is still inside. I can hear it barking where she shut it up at the back of the house. She shoves a twix at me and squats down to talk even though I'm not five, and her knees crunch like coke cans as she does it. Your mum's on her way. Just sit tight. She stands next to me, hugging her arms and looking up and down the road. It seems like forever, but can't be more than 20 minutes, until mum's car is whizzing up the street and pulling up sharply at the curb. She doesn't turn the engine off, just flings the door open and runs up the path. Mum bends down and I'm swallowed in the folds of her big wool coat, her gold brooch cold and smooth against my cheek. I hug her back, squeezing my eyes shut and breathing in the familiar smells of laundry liquid, deodorant and shampoo that cling to her, as well as the cooking smells that have soaked into her coat as it hung in the hall. Michaela, her arms tighten around me. Where have you been? Hearing my name, my real name, from someone other than Cray, brings tears to my eyes. For the last 24 hours I've been living the life of stone, shades and spells. All that's gone now. I'm myself, greasy-haired, wearing my own clothes and being hugged senseless by my mum. Eventually, she lets me go and gets her keys out of the ignition. Next door's gone back to her yappy dog in a rush of, oh, bless, and let me know if you need anything. Mum opens the door and I follow her into the house. It's only then that I notice I'm starving hungry and itching for a shower, literally. Mum stops in the living room and looks around like she's confused how she got there. She still hasn't taken her coat off. The silence is heavy and uncomfortable. I need a shower, I say at last, when she just stands there looking at me like I'm the second coming. I mean it to sound like a decision, but it comes out like I'm asking for permission. All right, I'll put some tea on for us, and for your dad. I should call him. I nod and take myself upstairs. Everything is familiar, like I only saw it this morning, but at the same time it's like the light is strange. Everything's slightly darker, a bit smaller than I remember it being. Even in my room, where nothing's been touched since I left that night. My pink furry bed spreads in a heap on the floor, my drawer open where I packed in such a rush. 
It's all my stuff. My makeup on the dresser, my clothes spilling out of the wardrobe, my rainbow bunny on the pillow with his one eye. The back of my neck prickles like I'm standing in a museum looking at glass-eyed dolls and brittle lace dresses. Things that belong in the past to a girl that doesn't exist anymore. In the bathroom I turn the shower on and have my first real wash since breaking into the student accommodation with Ilex. I let the hot water soak me all over and lather up with a bottle of shower gel I've been using before I got kicked out. For a few moments it's easy to believe that I'm showering off traces of cross country after school but soon I have to get out and go back to my room. My bag's there as a reminder and I quickly go through it and take out my ritual tools and the pouch of crystals, hiding them in one of my old stashes, a hole cut into the mattress, hidden where it's pressed against the wall. Dressed in clean pyjamas, I look helplessly at my wooden hand. Thankfully, my dressing gown has long sleeves. I have no idea how I'm going to keep it hidden after today. I go downstairs to where Mum's sitting on the sofa. I can see packs of frozen food on the kitchen counter. There are trays of it cooking in the oven. She's made me a cup of tea and I sit down next to it. There's an episode of Downton on the TV, but she's not watching it, just gnawing the skin around her nails and looking at me. I saw that thing you put in the paper, I say. She takes her hand away from her mouth. Is that why you came back? I nod. The truth is so weird, she'll probably have me locked up and peeing in a cup five minutes after I tell her. Even if there was some way she'd understand, I know it won't make a difference. The word witch stuck in my throat when I tried to throw it in Chloe's face. To keep silent is one of the rules of magic. Crow taught me that. A rule that I can never break, even if I want to. I meant every word. Dad and I were so upset. We weren't thinking when we locked you out. I was just so worried about you and the drugs. I'm off it now, anyway. She looks unsure. Even if you aren't, I... I am. I didn't quit or anything, but I didn't have any with me, and then I didn't have any money. I was too distracted to miss it. She relaxes, but I'm not 100% sure that she believes me. That's good. I know we made mistakes, and it must have been hard for you. Where were you? We looked everywhere. Where do you think? Outside, sleeping rough, I say, sharper than I intended. She's sorry and red-eyed, and I don't want to hurt her. But at the same time, she hurt me. She let him throw me out on the street. I know, I'm sorry. I, I honestly thought you'd go to Tasha or Chloe, and when your dad calmed down, you'd come back. Well, Tasha wouldn't let me in, and Chloe was on that stupid school trip. Even when she got back and I met with her, she was a total bitch. She saw you. Mum's eyes go wide, angry little spots of red on her cheeks. She never told us. She probably didn't want to admit she told me I was a freak and that she hoped I was shooting up and getting AIDS. Michaela? Well, that's what she said. Well, I'll tell her parents and the school and the papers if I have to. It's not her fault, not really, I say. It feels like so long ago already. Mum's quiet for a moment, eyes wandering to the TV, to the picture on the wall. Michaela, I know you said you were sleeping rough, but... Me and your dad, the police, even the people from your school. We were all looking for you all over town, even in Bristol. The mention of Bristol makes me stiffen. I wasn't in Bristol. Or in a shelter or anywhere we looked. I just, I wanted to know if you were safe, if anything happened while you were on your own. I wasn't. There were a few of us, same age or a bit older. They were nice. So you were with other kids? I'm not a kid, I say, exasperated. Mum rolls her eyes and it's almost like normal. Fine teenagers and they were all right not getting high or anything a bit i say thinking of ilex and the bag of weed he challenged me to take from the student's bedroom boys mum i snap what does it matter now she still looks worried and goes back to chewing her fingers i swallow there was one a boy i really liked but he's gone now he left that's when he decided to come back he died i feel my eyes fill up and i break i was so scared 
I tried to help him, but he's gone. They're all gone. She looks completely freaked out, but she pulls me in and hugs me tightly, stroking my hair with her washing up roughened hands, shushing me and rocking me from side to side a bit, even though I'm not a baby anymore. I let myself howl for a while, then struggle to get my gulping sobs under control. Mum rubs my shoulder and offers me a tissue. I scrub my eyes and nose with it. There's the sound of a key in the front door, and Dad's voice travels through to us. Love? Michaela? The thought of having to go through a second inquisition makes me tear up again, but Mum stands up and squeezes my shoulder. I'll talk to him. You just drink your tea. I hold onto the tissue and take the hot cup between my hands. It's the little mermaid one they brought me from the Disney shop when I was really, really little. That was the same year I had an aerial cake for my birthday, too. I scrunch up small and listen to my parents whispering in the hallway. I never want to leave this sofa. I want to stay squidged up and warm and smelling of vanilla shower gel in my pink dressing gown. I want to be the little girl with the aerial birthday cake, not the girl who knows what it feels like to stab someone. Mum and Dad come in from the hallway and I have to hold the mug one-handed, with the other tucked into my sleeve. I'm struck again by how tired Dad looks, how grey. Michaela, he says stiffly. Welcome home, love. Thanks, I say. Mum gives me a reassuring smile as she goes into the kitchen and starts opening tins of beans. Dad hangs up his work fleece and sits down heavily on the sofa. I can feel how badly he wants to ask me about the last few months, but he doesn't say a word. Mum must have really threatened him. She does that sometimes, manages to strong-arm him into saving his bonus money instead of buying a huge TV, stuff like that. She hadn't done it when he was kicking me out, though. We eat sausage chips and beans in the living room in front of the TV, and afterwards, Mum puts on EastEnders. It's been so long since I ate a proper meal, one that wasn't made up of crisps and chocolate bars or instant noodles. Even after two months, EastEnders make sense. Nothing much appears to have happened. When I think about all that's happened to me, it seems incredible that Mum's dinners and Phil Mitchell can still be the same. Outside of Wayward, the world's been moving at its normal speed. It's me that's lived a hundred years since I last saw this house. It gets to about nine and my eyes feel dry, my head heavy. I yawn especially hard while Dad's channel surfing, looking for Top Gear reruns. Why don't you get some sleep, Mum says. We can have a proper talk in the morning. I'm not thrilled at the idea of having a big talk about everything, but the thought of getting to sleep in a proper bed has me nodding in agreement. As I shuffle upstairs, I hear Dad say quietly, She's different. Mum shushes him. She's home. Do you know how lucky we are? You know how many kids never come home, never turn up at all? Of course I do, but but nothing. But we need to know where she was and what kind of trouble she was in to make her come home. That's the only way we can help. I close my bedroom door, not wanting to hear any more. Dad's not stupid. He knows that me showing up after weeks of silence means something went wrong wherever I was hiding. Mum knows it too. She just doesn't want to admit it. I'll have to tell them something. It won't be the truth, but I know I can make it convincing. I'm good at lying to them. I take my dressing gown off and look at my hand. The only way to keep it hidden is to glamour it. However much I don't want to use magic anymore, there's no way I can hide my hand otherwise. It takes seconds to get my hand looking normal again, but I feel anxious about it for hours afterwards, lying in the dark, unable to sleep. I don't want to bring something that got so many people killed into my parents' lives. I want no part in the magic that couldn't give me back the one thing I wanted. At some point I must sleep, because I find myself waking up and not knowing where I am. After sleeping in a house out in the country, where night meant total darkness, where bed was a sleeping bag on the floor, waking up in a cushy bed to traffic noises and the orange glow of street lamps is disconcerting. I snap the light on, and it's only the hand that clamps over my mouth that muffles my scream. The room is full of people. There are boys and girls of so many different ages, from a little boy that looks about five to a girl who must be over twenty. There's even a baby in the eldest girl's arms. The teenage boy who put his hand over my mouth takes a step back and looks at the girl with the baby. 
who the hell are you? I scramble up and look around all of them. My heart's already thumping too fast for comfort when I notice that none of the people in the room are solid. I can see the shapes and colours of my things through them. Frozen, I do a quick head count. 39. No. 40. Sophia's mostly hidden by the two guys standing in front of her, but I recognise her long, gauzy blonde hair. The 40 sacrifices. What do you want? It comes out in a small squeak. None of them speak. They just stand there looking at me. Then the eldest girl nods to the boy who silenced my scream, and he lays something on the bed. The grimoires from Raywood. Sophia's grimoires. I shake my head, refusing to take them. I'm done with that. I can't do magic anymore. I won't. None of them look angry, just serious, like they won't take no for an answer. The girl raises her hand, and the topmost grimoire opens, its pages turning until it reaches the last spell. I know that the last page was blank when I looked before, but now it has words on it, written neatly in black biro. There are more. I jump awake, fighting the duvet and nearly falling off the edge of the mattress. I turn the lamp on, sending a stack of CDs flying off the bedside table. The room's empty. The door opens and Mum pokes her head around it, looking worried. What was that? Just the CDs. I get out of bed and start picking them up. Did you have a bad dream? No, I just can't sleep. Mum nods sadly. I'll make you some hot chocolate. Okay, I say, wanting her to just leave me alone so I have a moment to think. The door closes and I straighten out the duvet. The problem with being a witch is that you can never be sure if something's just a stupid nightmare. I'm fairly sure it was all a dream this time. After all, how can there be more sacrifices? The ritual's complete now. I'm living proof of that. When my hand closes around the grimoire, half lost under the duvet and bedspread, I flinch. I pull it out and turn the pages, stopping at the last one, knowing what I'll find. There are more. Save them. So it was real. But who are these people I'm meant to save? Other witches? I don't know what to do. But the knowledge that something of Wayward has followed me to my parents' house makes me shudder. Mum comes back up the stairs and I stuff the grimoire down the side of the mattress, out of sight. There you are, she says, setting down my little mermaid mug. She reaches over and strokes my messed up hair. Try and get some sleep. I will. I drink the hot chocolate and lie back down, but I can't force myself to turn the light off. The red numbers on my alarm clock tick towards morning as I lie stiffly in bed, looking at the shadows. Chapter 24 Next morning, Dad does a cooked breakfast and we eat in tense silence. Afterwards, I get dressed and come downstairs to find him and Mum sitting on the sofa together. Both of them must have called work and taken the day off. Though, thinking about it, I don't know what day it is. Without school to think about and being away from town for so long, I've stopped marking out the weeks in my head. Michaela, we'd like to talk about where you were, Dad says. I told Mum already, sleeping rough with some other people. I don't want to sit down in the armchair across from them. The alternative is standing in the doorway, so I sit down and fold my legs up under myself. We just want to know what it was that made you come home. We're both glad you did, but we're worrying about what's happened to you, Dad says. I was with someone and he died, Dad, I say. Please, can we just... I don't want to talk about it. Was he taking drugs? Dad asks. No. My face gets hot. But you told your mum some of these people were. That doesn't mean he was. And they're gone too. Yes, they are. Where? I don't know. I can feel myself getting more and more upset. Stop interrogating me. Why can't you just be my dad for once? Dad snaps his mouth shut. I hate it when he treats me like someone he's pulled into the station. He knows that. Dad's just worried about you, Mum says. If you're scared of these people or if something happened to them, we can help. The sudden urge to laugh nearly overwhelms me. Even if I told them what I've been doing at Wayward, even if they believe me, there's no possible way that either of them could help me. Even if one of them had the shade's power before I was born, it's mine now. I know from the grimoire that only one person in each family can have it. 
I wonder who it was that gave me Keridwen's bloodline. I wonder if they knew what they had. There's nothing to help with, I say. It's over. All of it. I just want things to go back to normal. Mum and Dad share a look, like they want to push me. I've said I don't want to talk about it, so leave it alone, I say, getting up and going to the door. Where are you going? Mum asks, a hint of panic in her voice. Upstairs. I'm going back to school, right? So I've got some stuff to sort out. In my room, I boot up the computer and check the day. It's Friday. Three days until school, which I know I should get back to as soon as possible. Nothing can be as normal as sloping off to school in the morning and going through the same routine of registration, lessons, break, lunch, more lessons and home again in time for Simpsons and dinner. I look through the wardrobe and find all my uniform stuff there, clean and ironed. My school bag's at the bottom and I take it out and go through it. Gel pens, hair ties, lip gloss, gum, three exercise books, pink pencil case and my planner. I flip through the exercise books, maths, where all my sums are laid out neatly on the square paper. Quite a few ticked, even if there are a few red crosses on the most recent pages. Then there's English and French, and I try to remember what we were doing in those before I became homeless. French was my last period on a Friday, the day I'd been kicked out. I take one of the hair ties and practice doing my hair up, put on some lip gloss and look at myself in the mirror. I might be able to pull it off. I look like the old me. For the rest of the day and the weekend, I hang around inside the house watching TV or looking through things in my bedroom, reading my old magazines and fiddling with my makeup and nail polishes. Mum and Dad treat me like I'm a bomb about to go off, but they don't ask me any more questions about where I was. I think they want it all to be over and done with as much as I do. Mum hugs me extra tight every night before I go to bed. Even Dad gives my shoulder a squeeze before he leaves for his weekend shifts. I know they really have missed me, that they love me. I just wish it was easy to forget how I felt on the night they threw me out. By the time my alarm goes off at seven on Monday morning, I'm bored out of my mind. With no one to talk to aside from my parents, who I have to keep lying to, I've missed Cray and the others more than ever. Even though it's too early to be awake as far as my body is concerned, I just want to get out of the house and into the noise and routine of school. I'm too anxious to eat any breakfast. As much as I want to go to school to get out of the house, I know that as soon as I walk through the gates there are going to be questions and staring and whispers behind my back. Chloe might not have told anyone she'd seen me, but that didn't mean she kept her mouth shut. There was no end to the gossip she could have been spreading. Call me if you want picking up, Mum says, giving me a hug once I've put my coat on. I will. Okay, well, she looks at the door, biting her thumb. I'm coming back, Mum. I know. She weighs me off like I'm being silly, but I can see how worried she is. Just have a good day. I'll try, I muttered to myself as I go down the front path. It's weird walking the route to school. It feels just like the first day I put on the red and grey uniform and walked here with Mum. As I get nearer to the school and start seeing other kids, familiar little groups, I get more anxious. It's even worse when people start noticing me. A group of year 12 girls grab each other and I hear one say, Oh my God, I can't believe she'd show her face. And a group of boys nudge each other and drop their bikes so they can get out their phones and film me. I feel my face getting redder and redder, my heart thumping wildly. The headache that's been plaguing me for the last few days gets worse, until the sun feels like it's skewering my eyes. I walk right up to the school gates and make my way through all the whispering crowds. Year 7 stop playing it to watch me. Year 11 stop chatting and stare. There are people holding up camera phones, people whispering and gleeful over the potential for gossip. A lot of them look sympathetic. It all makes me feel worse. A few kids get into step with me and ask me how I am. One girl touches my arm. I'm fine. I walk faster, so that I'm almost running by the time I get near the school building where my registration group is. I'm through the double doors and into my form room before I notice that there's someone in there already. Chloe and Tasha are sitting on the desks at the front of the room. Tasha jumps as I come in and swoops across to hug me. I don't hug her back. She moves away from me, frowning. Kayla? 
Told you, Chloe says, folding her arm. She's being a bitch. Shut up, I snap. Chloe pulls her face. Ooh, scary. Kayla, we're your friends, Tasha says. We were really worried about you. Didn't you get my texts? I got everyone's texts. Like the one from Chloe that said you told her I never even called the night I got kicked out. I watched Tasha's face colour. I came to your house. You wouldn't let me in. I told her, just not right away. You mean when you thought you'd get in trouble for lying? Chloe stands up and picks up her bag. You're acting like such a tight-ass cow, especially considering you spent the last few months living in a flea-infested sleeping bag with some wannabe pimp. Tasha won't look me in the eye. So you told everyone I'm a prostitute, I say. Chloe smiles, scrunching her nose the way she does when she's really pleased with herself. It might have come up. I almost want to laugh. Since I last saw Chloe, I've been physically attacked, stabbed, drank human blood, killed someone, and burnt a shade out of a human body. A few spotty morons thinking I'm on the game isn't going to break me. Well, sadly, they'll be disappointed if they come around looking for anything like that, I say. But I can always give them your number. Chloe narrows her eyes and Tasha glances at her, like she's waiting for her to jump on me and claw me to bits. Thankfully, at that moment, my form tutor arrives with two or three kids in tow. Girls, can you get to your own forms, please, she says. Registration started three minutes ago. Tasha and Chloe give me death stares, but leave the room. I go to the corner furthest from my tutor's desk and get out my planner, trying to remember what lessons I have on a Monday. Unfortunately, my first period is maths with Tasha. The rest of the day is all stuff that I don't have with my former friends, but break times and lunch present another challenge altogether. I try to tell myself that I'll be fine. I just have to be one of those losers that reads through lunch. It's an assembly day, but once we've filed into the hall and taken our seats, the head just talks about the new recycling policies and reminds everyone that the field is out of bounds until summer. Mum phoned the school on Friday to tell them I'd be coming back this week, and I know she told them not to make a fuss over it. She's also set up a meeting with my form tutor for lunchtime, so I can discuss catching up on work. I'm not used to fighting through the crowds anymore, and everyone's trying to get to their lessons at once. My headache is worse now, and I'm fighting the temptation to start shoving people aside with magic, clearing the whole hallway for myself. I get to first period late. Everyone is sitting at their desks. My space is next to Tasha. I sit down and get out my exercise book. Miss Drew glances at me, but doesn't say anything. Any other time, and she'd be ripping my head off for being late. She gets up and starts talking about converting fractions to percentages. I'm lost by the end of the first sentence. All the time Miss Drew is talking, I keep my eyes on the board and copy down the method she's showing us. I don't understand any of it, but my copy is perfect. I'm trying not to notice the way Tasha pointedly moves her chair all the way to the other side of the desk. We set some conversions to do by ourselves, and the class goes from silent to buzzing with chatter in a matter of seconds. None of the work makes sense, and after starting on a conversion and messing it up, I just stare helplessly at the method I've copied down. It feels like someone's trying to drill into my head with a hot poker. I press my hand against my head and close my eyes for a second. Michaela, do you need some help? Miss Drew asks from the front of the classroom. A few people snort and whisper as I shake my head. Tasha sticks her hand in the air. Miss? Natasha? Can I move seats, miss? I grip my teeth, force myself to look at my exercise book and write down the next conversion, pretending I can't hear the giggling and muttering around me. The back of my neck burns. Living with Cray and the others, I've forgotten how mean people can be. None of the people at Wayward had anything, but they'd share with me and listen to my shitty little problems, even though they've been through worse. No, Tasha, Miss Drew says, a warning note in her voice. Have you solved any of these problems yet? No, Miss, but she smells. The hissing whispers get louder. Someone throws a torn off bit of rubber at my head. It bounces onto the table in front of me. I bite my lip. My head hurts so much it feels like my eyes are going to burn up in my skull. My palms are damp, my shirt stuck to me by a cold sweat. Natasha, go and stand outside, Miss Drew snaps. 
She does, though, Tasha says, standing up and circling around the desk on her way to the door. She does, miss, says the guy behind me. It's Ben Greenall, one of Chloe's on and off again boyfriends. Gorgeous, naturally, and a prick, obviously. It's like someone did a shit in old yoghurt. A chorus of disgusted noises goes around the room, some gleeful, some genuinely annoyed. Not everyone is enjoying the joke, but everyone is staring at me. I can feel the weight of all their eyes. Quiet, Miss Drew says, or you'll be in detention at break time. The noise dies down and Miss Drew puts some more conversions on the board, pausing to glance at me worriedly. I keep my face calm, like I didn't hear any of what just happened. Like I don't care. I shouldn't care. It was only an hour ago that I wanted to laugh in Chloe's face, because she would never experience half the things I've done. She'll never have the kind of power that I have, only it's power I can't use. Her power, the kind you get by being blonde and thin and mean to everyone in that weird backwards way where everyone laughs with you instead of calling you a bitch, that's a power I could really do with right now. I might as well be the old Michaela, only now I don't even have Chloe and Tasha pretending to like me. I'm all on my own. Everyone stay quiet and finish the problems on the board. I'll be right outside this door. Miss Drew goes outside and closes the door, presumably so she can talk to Tasha. It doesn't make me feel better. Tasha will just hate me more tomorrow. Something hits my shoulder and falls onto the floor. I ignore it. Something else, some kind of hard pellet-like object, hits my hand and rolls across the desk. A penny. Another coin hits my hair and drops onto the carpet. They come quickly now, most hitting me, others missing, and going to the front of the class. I can hear smothered laughter and one girl saying under her breath, Dan, stop it. I look down at the messed up conversions, where the letters swim and blur in front of me. I mustn't cry. I know how this works and crying will only make it worse. Even ignoring it doesn't work, but crying would be like bleeding into shark-infested waters. Did you see that? It's Ben again, poking me in the head with something. It feels like a ruler. There's nits in there. Ugh. I jerk my head away. My palms are hot. There's a scream building in my ears, the kind of sound that could shatter glass. I look down and see the blue numbers on the page sprout legs and scuttle all over my hands like ladybugs. My mistletoe hand is shaking, the glamour cracking like a thin layer of paint. I stand up, swaying, panic starting to break through the calmness. The snickering of my classmates breaks through the soft silence. She's off her face, someone says. Miss, Ben shouts, Michaela's high. My hand starts to rise, power making the wooden joints in my fingers vibrate. The scream in my ears is coming from inside my brain, inside my bones. The energy inside me has me more charged than a pylon. I can't shut it out, but I know I have to try. If I let all that power out now, here, it could kill everyone, blast the walls to dust, and it still wouldn't be done. It's like trying to cram a thousand lightning storms into my pocket, but I pull back on the energy that's crackling through me. Weirdo! A shower of small change hits me in the head. I'm not sure who said it, but no one's disagreeing. I can hear people muttering all around the room. Quiet! Miss Drew shouts, the door slamming shut behind her. Everyone obeys. I turn around to see Tasha glaring at me from behind Miss Drew. What's this mess on the floor? She demands, pointing at the coppers and five-pence pieces all over the carpet. It's so Michaela can buy some lunch, Miss, a guy from the back says. I look at the table and see that the living, scuttling letters have gone back to being gel pen lines, only now the numbers are all over the desk, not on my notebook. Dan Nichols, you are in detention with Natasha and Ben, Miss Drew snaps. Dan groans. Michaela, Miss Drew says kindly, are you all right? I can feel the headache coming back. Now I know what it is. The energy inside me building, rising until I can't control it. I can't stay in the classroom. To tell the truth, I don't want to. If I could, I'd stop existing on the spot, fade away like a photograph left in the sun. I wonder what they'd think if I just did that, left the world behind. Maybe they'd be sorry for what they'd done.
My gut says they're never going to be sorry. They'll keep torturing me until they get bored. Then maybe they'll forget me altogether. I grab my bag and run past Miss Drew, ignoring her as she calls my name. I'm out of the maths block and running around to the back of the biology labs, to the little bit of woodland where no one can see what you're up to, my old smoking spot. It's cold and I don't have my coat, but I push my way under the low-hanging branches and pick my way around the brambles until I get to the big oak, with the thick branch a few feet from the ground, perfect for sitting. Wrapping my cardigan around myself, I breathe out a cloud of frozen air. I feel better outside. The headache is subsiding. Maybe the trees are helping to ground me, absorbing some of my excess energy. I look around at the thick trunks and wet branches. Sooner or later I'll have to go back inside, but for now I just want to pretend that I'm down by the lake. I want to fool myself into thinking that Cray is somewhere nearby and everything will be okay. Shame I'm the only person who doesn't believe my lies. The meeting with my form tutor, Mrs Good, is at lunch. By the time I knock on her office door, I've endured three more periods of people whispering and staring. Nothing's been as full on as what happened in maths. I'd like to think that it's because most people aren't interested in what I've been doing that they don't want to pick on me. It's too bad that I know it's because there's no one brave enough to start anything after the bollocking my maths class got after I left. According to the whispers I overheard in the hallway before French, Tasha cried real tears. I'm surprised. She gets steady D's in drama. Mrs Good is older than Miss Drew with grey hair and a wardrobe that seems to contain only one check suit, a green cardigan, a few white shirts and a hairy tweed skirt. I've never had a conversation with her in my entire life. Michaela, take a seat. I sit down in the second of two swivel chairs. Her office is tiny, lined with shelves of books and stacks of paperwork. She's a German teacher. There are maps and pictures of the six-form German trips stuck up everywhere. Biscuit? She offers me half a packet of custard creams. I haven't had lunch yet and I'm really hungry, so I take two. Now, Mrs Drew's caught up with me and she's told me what happened in maths. Everyone responsible has been spoken to, but I understand that that doesn't make things any better from where you sit. I gnaw on a biscuit, saying nothing. If there's anything you need to talk to someone about, that's what this meeting's for, Mrs Good says, looking at me over her glasses. Things that you might find difficult discussing with your parents or your friends. I don't have friends. She nods sympathetically. I understand Tasha was one of the instigators this morning. She and Chloe hate me. I don't want to tell her anything, but today's already been so hard. Break times were almost worse than the lessons. At least when people were taking the piss, I was involved in what was going on. At break, I'd sat on the floor at the back of the library, waiting for the bell to go. I'm sure they don't hate you. What's happened to make you fall out? We haven't fallen out. They never liked me. But since I've come back, they think I'm weird. Do you feel different now? Yes. I don't want to get into it any further, but it's hard to keep the words from coming out. I never used to think I was worth more than how they acted around me. And now you know you deserve better. I don't know. I had friends before I came back here. I had real friends who looked after me and who spoke to me like I was. I stopped myself. Michaela? I don't want to talk about them. I can see her trying to work me out, but all she says is, OK, well, why don't we talk about what it was like for you when you were homeless? I wasn't homeless, I say. We had a house. And I wasn't cold or sleeping under a duvet in the street. I was really, really lucky. I don't add that I'd rather have slept in the cold and the wet for months. It would have been better than losing Cray, costing everyone their lives. Mrs Good is nodding like she understands. Can we stop now? I ask. I don't really want to talk about it. It's probably best to just forget about it. As if I ever would. Really, what I want to do is keep every memory for myself. Wayward was another world. It doesn't belong here in this room full of ungraded essays and course books. As much as it hurts, I want to keep it fresh, unfaded. Michaela, I'm not going to force you to talk to me, Mrs Good says. But if you want to tell me anything, you know where I am. I feel suddenly very grateful to Mrs Good. 
She's the only person who's been the slightest bit sympathetic to me all day. Even Miss Drew hadn't really seemed like she cared about me. She was more interested in keeping order. I want to hug Mrs. Good, breathing the smell of lavender and biscuits that clings to her cardigan. But outside, two boys in the year below have stopped and started miming madness through the window. They roll their eyes and twirl their fingers around by their temples. Hugging a teacher in front of them would be asking for it. Besides, Mrs. Good is paid to care. She probably just wants me out of the room so she can tick me off her to-do list for today. Bond with runaway junkie teen. Check. I pick up my bag and let myself out of her office. Two more periods and I can go home. Somehow, that isn't as comforting as it should be. You can tune in next time for chapter 25, potentially chapter 26, depending on how long chapter 25 is. And in the meantime, don't forget that purchasing the book or one of my other books from Amazon for 99p, using the links in the description for this episode, does help to support the podcast and does help me to afford things like the subscription for my video editing software and books and things to review as well. If you could go and do that, that would really mean a lot to me. If you can't afford to buy the book, I understand, but you can go to Goodreads and leave a review for Wayward because technically you have heard it through this podcast and that would really help and help other people to find and purchase the book. In the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye!